Scottish football yesterday. I did. It was an incredibly fun 35 seconds at Old Trafford. Yeah. They played quite well for them before. Self-imploding. There was a penalty, to be fair, on a red card. I suppose you can have that, but it doesn't help your best player getting sent off as manhandling the referee. For Mitrovic, I don't understand why. Like, the referee's gone to the monitor. Mitrovic probably hasn't seen the replay. Why would he? The, the referee's gone to the monitor and watched it four or five times, possibly more. We've all mm. concluded back at home, yes, it's a penalty, handball. Yes, it's a red card. So why is Mitrovic then decided to get right up in the referee's mm. face? He's obviously said something he shouldn't have said, because even before he shoves the ref, the referee is reaching for his red card. So he's obviously said something he shouldn't have said. Yeah. But I mean, that is, given the right his face controlling the game and in with a very good chance of reaching the semi-finals to, to then do that is just <laughs> utterly ludicrous. Yeah, I thought it was it, it was unlucky to me for the actual initial clearance. I thought it was actually quite unlucky because William did very well to actually block the shot, but it was just with the yeah, part of his body that he wasn't body allowed part. to do it. You can't say he part. did well to block the shot when he did it with his hands. You might. <laughs> well, have he didn't mean didn't, didn't mean to, did he? It was almost subtle, but um, and your lot are going to win the league, aren't they? I, I think we are. To be fair, I, I actually do. Just keep on ticking off these boxes. And they've got Liverpool next, so if they don't win that, if they don't win that, it will be at least seven or eight points clear. So it's just the first time you've tried to genuinely believe. No, I've, I've thought for ages, to be honest. I've, I've thought for ages that Arsenal are going to win the league. Just little last-minute winners that that loads of league-winning teams have got in the past, like against Bournemouth and against um, Aston Villa. But Fergie's United always used to do that, like week in, week out. So just little things like that, yeah. What do we call yeah, it, Fergie I think time? Arteta time? Yeah, Arteta time, Mikel time, yeah. All right, well, uh, there's lots to get on with for golf. Mm-hmm. So that's the football chat out of the way with. It wasn't quite the six minutes it was last week, <laughs> week before, whatever it was, but we'll let's get on with talking about some golf. I'll tell you what I did do over the weekend. I went to the range for the first time this year. Now, <clears throat> I've had a bit of a wrist injury, which was damaged in a very embarrassing way, which was basically play fighting with my children. <laughs> and <clears throat> my left wrist has been in a, well, it was in a strap for a couple of months at the end of last year. It's just sort of starting to get back to where I want it to be. Mm. And I forgot just how difficult it is to hit golf clubs when you haven't hit anything for a couple of months. It was it was genuinely horrifying. I was hit. I was swinging my irons and thinking, I don't think I'm ever going to hit anything out of the middle ever again. It was pretty bad. I'm sure you've had those similar problems. Yeah. But I got my hands on my so the the, the pro at the range was letting me play around with some of the new clubs on offer. And friends of the Slam podcast, Callaway, got hold of their new Paradigm irons. Any good? Very nice. Very nice. Very nice. I should think so. I think it's important that we as golfers not just talk about tour stuff, but we, we, you know, sometimes we want to talk about our own game. And like every other golfer on the planet, we go through the miserable times. Mm-hmm. So when you do find something that feels nice for you, it's important to stick to that. Now, yeah. of course, I can't keep those paradigm irons, which my the pro at the range was letting me play with because I had to give them back. They don't belong to me. I haven't paid for them. So I've gone back to my seven-year-old irons, which will remain (laughs) unnamed. But actually hitting them with some new irons actually felt really nice. And then it got Mm. me back in a rhythm with my old irons. So maybe it's just my swing. Who knows? No, I went to the range too. I went to range too, to be fair, in preparation. It's that time of year, isn't it? It's that time of year. I'm playing golf a couple of times this week as well. So I wanted to, I haven't played more than nine holes this year. So I was very keen to get on the range and actually make some contact with a few balls. <laughs> All right, let's talk about some actual proper people playing golf.
before we get started, I just I want to make an announcement that this is a golf ball rollback free zone. We're not going <laughs> to yeah. be talking about that today. If you want to listen to endless takes on that particular subject, then fill your boots with the other podcasts in the NCG podcast family, all the gear and from the clubhouse, but not for about half an hour, 40 minutes, of course. Listen to this yeah. first and then go and hear that. But I think probably just about everything that can be said on that has been said in the last week. So let's stick to the action. Let's start with this chaotic finish at the Valspar. Spieth blowing up on 16, Tommy Fleetwood going close to his first victory. And then in the end, you had Adam Schenk and Taylor Moore going toe-to-toe down the last couple of holes and Schenk obviously put himself in that position I mean how unlucky was that he put himself for those that didn't see it his drive on 18 ended up at the base of a tree basically and there's a if you haven't seen it there's a fantastic shot of him just he comes walks over looks at his ball at the bottom of the tree and then just puts his hands on his knees and his head's drooped and then there's the little white flag that the ball spotters use which obviously (laughs) has its own well, it's a lovely metaphor, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Giving up, but and then Taylor Moore wins. It was the world number 100 and 200 and something away. So yeah, really, really fun weekend at Copperhead last night. Yeah, there's a bit of a backdoor win for Taylor Moore. Really, it was for, for a large part of the final round. It was just sort of about Fleetwood, Spieth, and Shank. But uh, amazing, an amazing final round. It's massively impressive to make five five. Uh, birdies and one bogey the crucial birdies coming at 15 and 16 also a week where he was he held 100% of putts inside seven feet as well which is well just just massively impressive to do it under pressure you sort of thought Schenk was it was destined to be him um to win when he held a 70 foot putt on the 12th hole which is his longest part of, of his tour career and the longest part of the week and then another clutch one on 17 as well. But I was sort of, I was, I was very much riding for Spieth and Fleetwood. And I feel like Tommy is m- maybe a bit typical of some of his other Sunday performances when he's been in contention in America. Just not really holding putts, crucial mistakes, crucial mistakes that sort of keep him out of contention. It was the 14th hole this time. I think he hooked a, an approach on that par five into into the downslope of a bunker, which ruined his chances. Um, there was those, with Tommy, there was those famous comments from, I want to say, Paul Azinger a couple of years ago, wasn't there? I, where yeah. He referred to, you know, he dismissed the DP World Tour, the European Tour, as it was at the time, as the other tour. And there was mm-hmm. uproar about that. And, and of course, there are question marks over Fleetwood and will he get it done over on the PGA Tour? And I mean, you have to think that he will. And it will probably come at an event like the Valspar. Mm. I mean, rounds of 68, 69, 69 had him fully in contention, like you say there, Sunday. I mean, it's not like he blew up. He didn't shoot 78. No, I mean, he no, finished true. tied third and two back off of Taylor Moore after a 70. But as you say, like it just takes one shot to blow up your chances in, in these tournaments. Where would you stand on that? Does I feel like Azinger's point would be that I think a win, it, it, I think he's previously said as well that a win, I think you need to win in America, sort of define your career or to sort of prove yourself. With six DP World Tour wins, he has proven himself. Come second at the, the US Open, second at the, the, the Open. So sort of, I think for what, me, what would you say? It always goes back to that same old argument. And I'm just going to pluck two players out of the air. Would I rather have Lee Westwood's career or would I rather have Sean McKeel's career? 
Sean yeah. McKill, major. Everyone says that majors define your career. Sean McKill mm. won the PGA Championship and nothing else on the PGA Tour. Lee Westwood has won a billion times now and and made a vast amount more. Live contracts aside, he is you know just in tour winnings, he's made an incredible amount of money. Now, which of those two careers would you rather have? One major and no other wins, or loads of wins and no majors? I know which one I would choose. Now, okay, c- comparing Tommy Fleetwood to someone like Taylor Moore probably isn't fair because Taylor Moore is you know up and coming and new. Mm. But whose career would I rather have out of Tommy Fleetwood's and Taylor Moore's? Taylor Moore's now got a PGA Tour win. Tommy Fleetwood hasn't. I mean, Tommy Fleetwood has had a, a wonderful career. If his career ended today, he would sit there and say, OK, disappointed I didn't win a major, disappointed I didn't win on the PGA Tour. But he's also the kind of person I think, and I think I would be the same, where I would say, but I've made a very good living for myself. I've provided very well for my family. I've had a really good life. I've had that those incredible Ryder Cup experiences. There's no way Tommy Fleetwood is walking away from his career today and being disappointed about it. So I think we just have to sometimes take these things into perspective. I mean, I hmm. thought his comments were ignorant at best. Um, I'm, try- I'm, I'm trying to think of a player who I could compare uh, Fleetwood to. So let's look at someone like JT Poston. I mean, how many PJ Tour wins does that guy have? Two wins, Wyndham Championship. John Deere Classic. So whose career would you rather have? JT Poston's two PJ Tour wins and hardly anything else. You know, a couple of handful of major appearances, the best of which was a tied 40th at the US Open a couple of years ago. Or would you rather have Tommy Fleetwood's career if you were ending it today? I mean, it, it's a no brainer. Really, Not to mention two Ryder Cup that, appearances as well. Two Ryder Cup appearances. Did he go? Did he go four for five? and Molinari went five for five didn't he but still those it was that partnership with Molinari where they went four four for four together as a team Mm. uh, and and sort of wrote themselves into the Ryder Cup law as it were so that's that's where sort of Fleetwood stands isn't it in his career he he, he is approaching the Westwood Poulter Montgomery ballpark isn't he It, it, it is that it is that major box that hasn't been ticked he's again very very close in in the last sort of five years and the, the way he's playing, it, it was quite a disappointing finish with the players. That's um, known as a fifth major, of course, by some people. So this form that he's showing could be indicative of what what he'll show in the four majors this year. The Open will be on very much home turf for him, across just across the, um, the Mersey from where he's a member, I believe, at West Lanks. It's looking promising for Tommy, I think, when in sort of the last couple of seasons, it, it's it certainly hasn't had such an outlook as it has now i wonder if that'll play on him as well because obviously in in 2017 i remember speaking to him when the open was at burkdale he'd just come off what was at the time his best major finish which was a fourth at the u.s open and then he and and he used to say like you know me and my dad used to jump over the fence here or me and my mates or whoever it was used to jump over the fence at burkdale and play a couple of holes you know there's Mm -hmm. there's probably no golf course on the planet that that tommy fleetwood knows better than burkdale yeah and then obviously there was that, it was a tight 27th, isn't a bad return for an Open Championship when you've only really played a hand, at the time he'd only played a handful of majors. Mm. I, I just wonder if there was a bit of, too much pressure added to him at the time. And I, I wonder if that could be something similar this time. I mean, a tied fourth, fourth last time, he had a second in 19 at Portrush 19, wasn't it? So yeah. I think that, I mean, he's got a, a fourth and a second at the US Open. He's got a tied fifth at the PJ Championship. So there is major mm. pedigree there. Pedigree, yeah. I just think that the Open is going to be the best chance for him and and just like I said a second ago I hope that I don't want to say pressure because it doesn't feel like that does it but there is sort of a, a certain extra element to it when you are playing on your home course mm. or, or, or playing at, at a course you know very well because you grew up nearby as he will be at Hoylake 
So I sort of hope that doesn't get to him. He's one of the nicest guys in golf. Everyone that has ever spoken to him or spent any time with him will say exactly the same. Even if you haven't, it's one of those things where he just gives off, he just gives off that vibe, doesn't he, about being a generally nice guy. It would be one of the most popular major Certainly. wins if he was to go on and win it. And everyone wants him to win a PGA uh, Tour event. Of course they do. But the, as a, I, I feel like as a country, we would be united behind mm. a Tommy Flick in a way that we perhaps weren't. I mean, I think we probably were for Lee Westwood. We certainly were for Colin Montgomery. I don't think we were quite, I mean, someone like Porter who divides opinion across the golf world. Uh, I don't think we quite, I mean, obviously it would have been great if he had won one, but I don't think the, the the country or the sporting world would have been quite as united as they would be by a Tommy Fleetwood major win. So I sort of vividly remember in 2013, the Open at Muirfield, I think Westwood had one or two shot lead going into the last round. And I sort of remember watching all of the coverage on, on the Sunday thinking it was a bit of an Andy Murray moment for me, I think, in terms of a country sort of realising that one of theirs could win like a, a major, major sporting event. And I think we know he didn't win. That's comparison in that sense. I think Fleetwood would be in that ballpark where if he was in that situation as well, then it is one of those sort of Andy Murray moments where a country would would unite behind him. It, it was a really entertaining finish. Um, it is such, it looks such a tough course, um, the Cophead course, especially those last couple of holes. It's so, so treacherous. Well, the Spieth found out. God, he's driving the 16th. Wasn't even close to dry land, was it? It wasn't, it wasn't, <laughs> like at no point in in that ball's trajectory was it even suggesting that it might land in anywhere <laughs> but the water. I mean, when when he strikes the ball and immediately just walks off it because he just knows that it's wet within a millisecond of the ball leaving the club face. But I haven't really noticed before. Um, you know, there was that viral video of Keith Mitchell last week at the players when he smacked his driver down in the tee box, sure. having having sliced a drive. What I've taken notice of more than usual now they're sort of looking like the caddy sort of look in case it doesn't cross so then it, that, that determines where they can take their drop yeah um so, so that's become quite a, a thing i've noticed with these sort of wayward drives that cross lines and walk with water yeah subplot yeah but an amazing an amazing bogey i thought of, uh, the bogey was just so clutch and so, so brilliant and then he he hits an amazing approach onto the next par three that you think he's obviously going to hold for birdie. But there is sort of no script with Spieth, is there? He's a very sort of unpredictable player. Um, but that's why I think fans get behind him. We all get behind him. I was lining up the story of have we just seen the Masters champion in 2023 if he if he had won. But <laughs> there is just no script with Jordan Spieth, is there? We've, we've been over this. Rory's going to win the Masters. Oh, yeah. And Spieth is going to win the PGA for the Grand Slam. We've been over this on this very podcast. <laughs> we are <laughs> not changing that. As much yeah. as I would love to witness Spieth <clears throat> winning the Masters, that would make me very happy. Rory would make me slightly happier. I think I can't quite recall who who tweeted it last night, but I was sort of flicking through Twitter while we, while I was watching the coverage, as you do. Mm. And someone in the golf industry tweeted saying that um, with Spieth, when he when he has an eagle putt, you know that he's either making eagle or par. There's just no, <laughs> there's just nothing in between. Yeah, it's a bit like that. I thought it was really nice that they showed um, Adam Schenk's wife and Jordan Spieth's wife watching the golf together on the course which was quite nice but I thought it was a, it was, it's a, it's a great piece of opportunism by Taylor Moore to, to sort of pick up the pieces and post posting Ted Under was just it, it, that was going to guarantee a playoff wasn't it and I think he's risen he's risen 54 places into the top 50 in the world and he's secured a place in the Masters so this is a, another example of those rank and file players who maybe aren't that happy with the new PGA Tour changes next, for next year just win just play 
just play a good golf and win. Because if, if, if you're a Taylor Moore, if you're watching Taylor Moore, you could think, well, that, that could be me next year. Well, cool. So that could be me sat, sat at home complaining that I can't get into the, in, any of these designated events. Well, just these, it's, it's opportunism for these sort of players. And he's taken, he's taken the full opportunity when players like Spieth and Tommy were making bad errors. We should also probably note that Jordan Spieth has won the last two years in April on Easter Sunday. So mm. 2021, he won the Texas Open on Easter Sunday. 2022, he won the Heritage on Easter Sunday. Guess what tournament finishes on Easter Sunday this year? It's a rhetorical um, question. We all know it's the Masters. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I actually, annoyingly, I, I actually had a bet on Cat. Patrick Cantlay at last year's heritage, but Spieth beat him in a playoff, didn't he? Rather, rather frustrating. Beat, um, beat you. Yeah, for me no. anyway. And Patrick, <laughs> and Patrick, and Patrick of course. But yeah, did you did you see? So have you seen Bad Cam? Have you? Yeah, talk to me about Bad Cam because you we were texting about this, and I actually mm. I actually haven't seen it yet, but I've seen there was a lot of fallout about it. People weren't happy, were they? So first of all, just ex- for for those of us that haven't seen it, just explain what it is. Yeah, so it's like an, an, a new initiative on the NBC broadcast of the PGA Tour. So in the last two holes of Justin Thomas's second round, a camera, what looked like, I think, it was like a big stick mm. with then the camera at, at the top of uh, inside his golf bag and it followed him for 17th and 18th holes or, or whatever the last two holes were of his second round. M- my thoughts on it were that it's it, it seemed a bit pointless. It showed them on the tee box hitting his shots. You, you could hear what him and Bones were saying. But then as they were walking up the hole, it was just sort of like it was sort of side on sort yeah. of looking at the grass. I, I, as someone who suffers from motion sickness, it sort yeah. of feels like something I wouldn't be interested in. I think it relied very much on Bones carrying the bag on him with just one shoulder as opposed to using both straps because then the, the yeah. camera was very much on it. Or side. like holding it up right and yeah. walking along with it. Yeah, I suppose that would be too much to ask. Um, why would you not why would you not have so we've seen this in football a couple of times where a player has had the you know the sports vest they wear mm. and then they've had a camera in the middle of their chest and it works really well why could you not just have a a, a caddy pull on a vest which has a camera in the middle yeah. of his chest or her chest that's and then idea. just uh, and then that's what we're seeing yeah like that they, footage because like you're going to see the discussion with the player Mm. directly in front of him that, that that could provide a lot of insight when they're sort of reading putts talking talking about shots and things like that the the, the idea of a camera on on a player or a caddy is is i think a very good idea it, it works it works in other sports as a horse racing fan sometimes you get jockey cam when they've got a camera on top of their helmet yeah um, and it shows them going along in the race which is absolutely fascinating so i do like the idea i think it i think it is is something definitely that pj Tour should build on i think it's good that justin thomas was happy to do it and for bones to obviously agree as well it didn't provide the insight they were looking for perhaps that was because it was the second round not really crunch time in the second round is it unless you're on the cut line but i think it's definitely an idea to build on some golf fans on on social media did sort of slate it but i think new thing new things are very easy to slate aren't they it's definitely something to build on um and perhaps a strap a strap to the chest of the caddy is pretty it's probably a better idea yeah i think it's okay like i i really like the the pj tour and their broadcast partners are coming up with these inventive ways of bringing new content to the mm. fan perhaps bad cam doesn't work perhaps it will perhaps they'll sort it out maybe maybe we just call it caddy cam yeah. stick it on the caddies maybe yeah. just give the caddies cameras to stick big big cameras <laughs> i mean these guys have to lug massive golf bags around what's an extra camera yeah. well, maybe on the cap maybe maybe on the cap yeah maybe a little a bit... cap cam yeah potential in that if potential in something like we should... 
I feel like we should be uh, careful with what we say because we don't want our ideas stolen. No, exactly. We take them into Dragon's Den. <laughs> while, while we're on the subject of uh, caddies, Matt Wallace once yes. again went viral. It was... Um, so for those who didn't see it, Matt Wallace and his caddy, Sam Bernard, were caught up in a rather, shall we say, heated debate after... So they were on the 18th, weren't they? And he, uh, the caddy wanted the golfer to hit the ball, take the drop which mm. would have been into not a very nice yeah. bit of land to drop in. Wallace just wanted to hit off the path, which which he did in the end, I think, didn't he? And then played, mm. and he, he mm. came up short of the green. And yeah. then they were obviously having a bit of a heated discussion about it. And at the end of which, Matt Wallace, and it didn't take an expert lip reader to realise that he was saying, <laughs> shut the F up. Now, what this isn't the first time that Wallace has been a bit hot-headed mm. on the golf course. I mean, he's not quite Tyrrell Hatton levels. And of course, it happens to the best of us. We've seen McElroy smash his wedge into a bunker after a, a poor mm. shot. We've seen McElroy throw a, a club into the lake. Obviously, we've got famous instances with the likes of Sergio Garcia is, is <laughs> the most obvious one I can think of. Yeah, But it's sort of, it's, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because Matt Wallace is sort of one of those guys that when you meet him and you do any kind of work with him as someone in the golf industry, he's like one of the nicest guys you could ever meet. He's absolutely mm. brilliant. And then you just sort of when it just sort of seems like very out of character when you see him do something like this. But he has got a bit of a history for it. Again, I, I really like rooting for English players, especially in, in American tournaments. But I just think he's on, he's on his last life with me, Matt Wallace, I think. <laughs> How many lives um, has he got? How many how many has he lost? <laughs> He's had a couple. I want a full um, breakdown of your Matt Wallace. <laughs> well, I was actually there at Hillside, um, because I was at uni in Liverpool when he he was playing in British, British Masters, Masters at Hillside. Yeah. So me and my flatmates went to watch it on the last was day. Was that nineteen? Which was a really exciting finish, actually. And he had a putt for a playoff on the 18th hole and he missed the putt and he slammed his putter down on the green. I'm, I'm sure he is nice. I've never actually spoken to him um, and I love rooting for him. He's been on the cusp of a few Ryder Cup captain selections, I think, in the past. But I, I don't know. He was really unlucky, wasn't he, for Paris? Yeah. He, he won the tournament. Was it made in Denmark he won? I need to just double check that. But he won a tournament, didn't he, right in mm. the right before the captain's picks were being made. And he was very unfortunate to miss out. I, I, I do like rooting for him, but he, he's had a few running. He had a running with his old caddy, Dave McNeil, as well, um, before this situation. The throwing the clubs and the bad behaviour, I, I, I don't really have a problem with. I think sometimes you need to let your frustration out on the golf course. Mind you, I, I would say that because I, I, I can definitely um, sympathise with some of the behaviour that I can definitely relate to some of the behaviour. You're a club thrower, are you? Just... <laughs> I'm not as bad as I used to be, but um, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Have you ever snapped a club over your knee? Not over my knee. Oh, you, oh okay. <laughs> answers um, on a postcard i sort of think yeah. with the with the caddy player relationship I, I do i've never been a player or a caddy but you sort of have to look at them and think they spend an awful lot of time together and a lot of the decisions that they have to make between them is more often than not going to be the difference between potentially millions of pounds or dollars or euros so yeah you sort of understand why the tension is there or can be there yeah as i say i can i can sympathize and understand angry behavior but it's the notion of the accusation of it's it's the notion of accusing a caddy of being at fault that i really can't get behind because at the end of the day if a, if a player is over a shot thinking that he's got the wrong club or something like that it's ultimately his decision it's ultimately his golf it's his paycheck and in this situation, they actually went with Matt Wallace's choice of hitting it off the path. Yeah. He didn't even go with the drop that the caddy preferred. So it's it's the notion of accusing a caddy of being at fault 
that I can't get behind. Well, let's not forget, it's, it's a caddy's paycheck as well, remember. You know, if we're, if we're going on the old-fashioned notion that it, they get 10% of the players' winnings True. on top of their... Well, so a lot, a you would think that yeah. Matt Wallace salaries his caddy as well. So a lot, a lot, a lot is at stake for the caddies as well. I think for sort of casual golf fans, I think this sort of clip shows that they do play an integral part um, in a golf or winning a tournament, and they are sort of very invested in what in what they do. Back to JT, he said at the players, and he reiterated it again at the Valspar that he is not going to play the match play next week. Obviously, we've got the match play next week and then the Masters the week after. Now, for me, that just signals the end of... Well, I think it signals the end of two things, really. First of all, it's, we know that this is the last match play championship for now, with uh, Dell and Austin Country Club not renewing their partnership with the PGA Tour. So we don't think there's going to be a match play event on the calendar next year. I mean, it's a, it's in a ludicrous place right ahead of the Masters. I mean, all these guys want to go to Augusta and and work on their game, and they don't they don't want to be going to play match play, which is of course a completely different format of golf to what they potentially play five in. days as well. Yeah, exactly. So um, I I thought that was really interesting, and and also just sort of signals the end of the WGCs in general. I really really love love the match play, so I'm a bit gutted that. It looks like we're not going to get one next season. And then that would obviously put in, put into question future seasons. I really, really, I love playing match play in general um, on the golf course as opposed to stroke play. I think it's so fun. It's so exciting, so interesting. And I think it's so important to the, the PGA Tour schedule and the DP World Tour schedule. I think a match play event, I think fans like it. It's it's a bit of golf tradition involved in the PGA Tour schedule. But as you say, it's Justin Thomas's lack of interest um, in playing in it fair enough he's explained that he doesn't play well at that golf course historically so so why would he play there might be just be a waste of a week might be a waste of traveling there and spending time there so that, well, I the, suppose... the players he was so, sorry i just want to correct myself first there was there is actually the, the texas open in between but obviously by and large mm. apart from jordan spieth who is a, a texan by and large the, the big names don't go and play that so that the last tournament they will play what i meant is the is mm. the wgc match play before the masters it's not ideal preparation for for a stroke play major is it no. but he said uh, justin thomas said at the players that like you just said he doesn't play well at austin he doesn't really like the golf course and there's also the the time zone element as well why would he he's, he's been on the florida swing why would he take himself to a you know a time zone three hours the other way just to come back to eastern time for, for the masters so he's sort of thinking well why would i not just stay on florida time and that was his reasoning for playing the bounce mm. bar over the over the wgc yeah so it makes perfect sense but as as you've sort of written before as well the wgc's are sort of they're dying a death, aren't they? There's, there's. Well, they the, have died a death. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's, I don't think they're going to be with this new designated PJ Tour mm. thing next year. They're not going to be yeah. on the calendar, are they? Because yeah, the WGCs were the original designated events, weren't they? Sort of restricted well, exactly. fields, elevated yeah. purses, which Tiger Woods won 18 of, I believe. The the, the Champions event hasn't, hasn't been played since pandemic began. And there's no sign of that returning. Justin Top, although his reasons are absolutely valid, as we've just seen, we can sympathise with him. But it's just another sign that. They're not. They're not. They're not that that important. Despite, yeah, although yeah. The, the there are eight of the top nine players playing, and only two players that are eligible to play aren't playing. Justin Rose is the only other one that isn't playing. So there is that factor in it because the top sixty-four, the, the sixty-four in a match play should be the top sixty-four players in the world technically. What are your What are your thoughts on match play events in general? We we obviously have this 
ongoing debate in the golf world between whether whether you're a fan or in the industry or, or a player that we like these different format events now the biggest problem with the match play is it's brilliant for Wednesday Thursday Friday when there's loads of matches on the golf course but when you get to say Sunday and there's only the mm. final and the third place match like <laughs> neither of those two players want to play the third place match they I think if you said to them do you want to just split the third place cash and then go home I think both mm. of them would just take that like mm. none of them want to play 18 more holes of golf they just want to go like they can't win the tournament they know they can't win the tournament they just want to go and get on a plane and go home now that's obviously a bit you, you're just watching on Sunday and all you've got is just ads and ads and ads and ads and ads. Mm. So because um, there's just no play on the golf course. <laughs> but in general, I do really like having a match play tournament. I think they just need to. I mean, first of all, I understand why they did the groups and the seedings and all that stuff. Mm. But it, I don't know. There's like for me. Just go back to being knockout. If you if you fly to Texas and play 18 holes of golf and lose, then so be it. You lost the match. Mm. Like yeah. you're going home. Like I think that for me, just make it knockout again. Get rid of the seeding. We don't want the seed. Just have it as like imagine that if you had like it'd be like yeah. the FA Cup draw, wouldn't it? Like imagine if you just had the 64 players playing in the first round and then the 32 players that went through then all congregate in a in the clubhouse or in a room or whatever <laughs> and then they draw the matches for draw the them. next day like yeah. right in front of them i mean how that would be great television yeah get rod stewart get rod stewart to do a draw as well <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, yeah that's a good a idea but... reference there <laughs> but that's uh, that, that, that is a good idea because well say say, say about the group stage imagine having mcroy sheffler and Rahm in the same group um that'd be quite fun but obviously not good for the tour because it doesn't guarantee any stars at the end of it, does it? But yeah, the, 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 I, I don't really like the group stage element of it, especially when only one player goes through from each group. Yeah. And then if if you're a player that's lost two matches, then the, the next match is just totally pointless. Yeah. You're just there for another day of golf and you can't go through, so it's just pointless. Um, you had the straight match play. At least you know where you stand if you go out after the first round. You can then prepare for whatever you would need to prepare for um, in the next week. But in terms of like um, having a match play event on the PJ tour. I think, I think it's brilliant. I think it's so important. Um, otherwise we'd only have, we'd only have match play once every two years with the Ryder cup um, and the Solheim cup. Um, so I think it's massively important. As sort of alluded to before, it's, it's keeping golf's tradition on the professional tour. I think, I think match play is very much an, an element of club golf that we can all relate to as well. And watch what watch the players play. Um, it's it's more tactical than stroke play, more strategic. So I think it is a massive shame that we're seeing match play events being sort of ushered out of professional tours. Yeah, completely agree. I think that uh, hopefully the PGA Tour will resurrect it from next year. And but <laughs> it's not really up to the PGA Tour these days, is it? Though as we know, everything no. is up to the players. So let's <laughs> let's move over to live golf. We had a you know if you unless you blinked and missed it, we had the second event of the 2023 season in Tucson, Arizona. Now <clears throat> Louis Eustazen was in the playoff. Uh, I I really enjoyed the chat about Louis Eustazen ha- having played hundreds of events. He another player that's never won on the PGA Tour um, mm. on on US soil certainly. Um, mm. And there was chat about him potentially winning his first event on US soil. Would it have counted? Yeah, probably. It was another relatively poor weekend for the big names. 
So Cam Smith and Brooks Kepka were seven back of the win. Phil Mickelson was eight back. I mean, don't get me started on Bryson DeChambeau. Seven over for three rounds. I haven't actually done the maths. but What is going yeah. on there? He must be close to being collectively over par since moving to Liz. <laughs> Like, I'm going to have to do the maths on that at some point. Maybe stay tuned for next week's yeah, podcast yeah. and we'll do the maths on that. But there have been some suggestions that if the big names aren't playing well, and, and they aren't playing well because they're already guaranteed huge paydays, regardless of how they play. Now, we can't prove that, of course. We'd only be speculating. But do you mm. think that's damaging to live when to have the mid-table? But I, mean, I don't want to take anything away from Danny Lee, who... Um, who did he beat in the playoff? Carl, Carlos Ortiz and Brendan Steele and Louis Oosthuizen. I don't want to take anything away from, certainly from Danny Lee. And yeah, he's quite an emotional victory, wasn't he? He hasn't won since 2014 mm. or 15, I think. 15. And, and he had that lovely quote where he said, you know, I, I thought winning was, was just beyond me now. So mm. obviously going to live has re-energised Danny Lee as a player. And, and I feel like that's what's happening to those mid-table players. I mean, look at Charles Howell III. The guy couldn't buy a win on the PGA Tour. Mm. He sort of seemed, was it? So he had 609 starts on the PGA Tour, won three times. He was sort of, and then he, and then he wins in his first live event, and then almost wins in his second one. He was only one shot back. Now there's two ways you can take that. One is that he's got a new zest for life and an enthusiasm about the game <laughs> that was perhaps waning from years of plodding along, cashing mm. huge checks on the PGA Tour. The other way of looking at it is Charles Howell III has just found his level at Live Golf. It's like a footballer moving from the Premier League down to League mm. One and then and then suddenly scoring loads of goals. So my first question to you is, is the fact that the mid-table, middle-of-the-road players are winning these events damaging for Live Golf? Because when this all start this time last year, the Saudis were pretty confident that they were going to have, fucking a number out of the air, 18 of the top 20 in the world on their books that obviously is nowhere near the case so how does greg norman go to the saudis and justify this when the world number 300 and whatever is winning their golf mm. events instead of the brooks kepkers and the and the bryson DeChambos? i know what you mean um it, it, it the visuals of danny lee winning aren't aren't good i don't think for live live golf and for people like greg norman who need to sell it um but would we be hypocrites if we were to gas up and get excited about Taylor Moore winning and not to get excited about Danny Lee winning, it's 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 that sort of um, argument that sort of that's resonating with me at the minute. Yeah, but with the sorry with the PGA Talk last uh, on uh, the the Valspar, we had Jordan Spieth in contention. We had yeah Tommy Fleetwood in contention. We had Matt Wallace in contention. There was plenty to keep us mm. uh, certainly as British fans and uh, you know fully signed up members of the Jordan Spieth fan club, mm. there was plenty to keep us interested. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say to you if it was Moore and Schenk and Clark and Gribble and Eric Van Royen that I would have been tuning in and getting excited about it. Of course I wouldn't. I still would have tuned in just as, as a golf fan. I still would have had it on in mm. the background, but I certainly wouldn't have been as engaged as I was having uh, certainly Spieth and Fleetwood. But I didn't even, I looked at the Live Golf leaderboard and at no point did I think, oh, I'm going to flick that on because Danny Lee and Brendan Steele are going toe to toe. Now, the only time that's happened to me in the Live Golf era is when, so one was when Brooks Kepka was going to win. That yeah. piqued my interest as I don't know why I'm a Brooks Kepka fan. We talked about this. I don't know why I'm a Brooks Kepka fan, but I am. And also when DJ went into that playoff and won the playoff and that was really good fun. 
but I'm not, I'm, and there's, it's no disrespect to these guys, but on a personal level, when I've got so much choice on a Sunday night, especially just not just golf, but other sports as well, I'm not tuning in for Lee Ortiz still. Mm. No, to be fair, my, my point was sort of like a devil, a devil's advocate point. There is obviously more, more interest in winning the Valspar, whoever it is, because of the history of the tournament, um, history of the course, the, the, the difficulty of the course as well, number of things. But yeah, I think, as you mentioned there, with the, the top players finishing down the leaderboards, I can surely that's down to just motivation. They might be a bit naive, but there is less motivation for these players to play well. I mean, Bryson a few years ago was like a top five player in the world, a major champion, and he's and he's finishing near the bottom of a of a live golf leaderboard with um, weak fields, only th- only three rounds. It's, it's and more time to recover, as he says himself, more time to recover. He had his first off season, um, in his own words, so he had ample time to prepare, and he's shooting these scores. It, it, it is it's genuine. It's genuinely sad. That these players have sort of been expelled, not expelled, self-expelled to, to this other tour. That it, it it was very easy. It was very easy to forget that the Live Golf Tucson event was on. If if, if I'm being honest, mm. um, it, with with the Valspar going on, then Fleetwood and Spieth and the other and Schenk and Moore going at it, it was very easy to forget that we, that it, it was on. Um, we were expecting this to happen though, weren't we? Because yeah. obviously last year it was brand new. There was a lot of buzz around it because and there were only a handful of events. So we all got excited about all of them because, you know, what's going to happen? What's it actually like? And now sort of it's into its second year and it's and it's sort of a proper thing. I mean, I've seen a variety of pictures from the event. It didn't seem like there were hordes of people there. That, but, like every event, like every well, event yeah. they have. And, and, and we're speaking from a UK fan's perspective as well. That hasn't got a mainstream channel to watch it on. Like, for example, my dad, he, play, he play, play, plays golf every week. He's a big golf fan. He loves it. But he's not he's not downloading an app, is he, to, to watch no, Live Golf? Same. Um, I've downloaded it just because it's my job. But I don't... But, we are speaking from a UK fan's perspective. However, um, I think Kevin Van Valkenburg um, tweeted the rate, the TV ratings of Saturday's um, coverage, and it was 0.14. I don't know what that means, really, but in any context, the, the figure 0.14. Didn't think to look it up. Yeah. In, well, it's in not, context, it's not, 0.14 of anything is not good, is it? Yeah. But, I mean, uh, look, even if it's 0.14 out. out of one, it's not that good, is it? Well, yeah. Liv, Liv will come out and say that they had tens of millions of people mm. watching on the app. So I, I think we'd probably just take the figures with a pinch of salt. I mean, if, if if you can't get that many people watching it on TV, are you going to get that many people watching it on the app? I mean, they'll, they'll come out and say their numbers, but and we just have mm. to believe them, really, or just... Do you, just going back to Bryson, do you think that... We obviously had this this chat of buyer's remorse about Brooks Kepka. He sort of seems to be the most likely player to come back to the PJ Tour if that was to happen. Do you think that perhaps there is some of that with Bryson as well? I mean, in terms of surprise players who went over, Brooks and Bryson and Cam Smith were probably the, the three, weren't they? I mean, all of them mm. still in their 20s and or, or very early 30s, still very capable of winning major championships. Do you think that perhaps with Bryson, there's sort of a little something there where he's thinking, I just wish I hadn't bothered? Mm, I'd add the Oki and Neiman to that list as well, too. Um, but anyway, yeah. Uh, of course, yeah. To be fair, I think the team, I think the team element, the promotion, all the all the cringy promotional stuff, all the franchise stuff, I think that does suit Bryson. Um, his, his team's called the Crushers. 
it's loads of different content. Uh, to be fair, I, I don't think if, if we are, let, let's say the, the Kepka rumours are true and, and that he would like to go back to the PGA Tour. If I had to guess, I, I'd, I'd say no with Bryson. I, th- I think he would be content with Live Golf. I think all of those things I've just suggested. I think he would. I think he would genuinely enjoy less time on the golf course, a lot of money he's still earning, um, which he claims he wants to he wants to put back into his local community. So I don't think he'd be in the same ballpark as Kepka. Um, I think Kepka's always had that fierce competitive edge. I'd compare Kepka's focus and concentration in tournaments to Tigers, whereas Bryson is a major champion, obviously. But um, I'd say there's more competitive fire in someone like Kepka than there is Bryson. So I don't think he'd have a burning desire to go back to the tour, if I had to guess. I think once Kepka, for me, with and I've said this before, with Kepka, that once his, I mean, obviously he's got PGA exemption for life, but once his exemptions run out on the other mm-hmm. majors, I think that's when he'll start thinking, well, hang on a second. Like, I, I want to be playing the majors. Yeah. Now, there was a really interesting piece, if you haven't read it, that Alan Shipnuck wrote. He was at the Tucson event. He was at that pre-event uh, part, pre-tournament party. And he's revealed that some of the players are actually irked by the new, shall we call it a business plan by Liv. Mm. So they've, first of all, they've moved forward their plan. We, you know, this is common knowledge. They move forward their plans to a for a 14 event season and to go it all in on the team aspect. They that that was all due to be 2024. It was supposed to be a 10 event uh, season this year. Now some of the players apparently are irked that mm. they are contracted now to a 14 event season when actually the contracts say they're only you know contractors play 10. Now there's also financial implications in the the business model has changed that in last year the team winnings uh, Shipnuck points out that obviously the, the famous one, which is Pat Perez winning eight million, despite the fact he basically finished in the lower third of every single <laughs> yeah. event. Now that business model is going to change so that actually team money gets reinvested back into the team franchises, which you know the lower end, which is you know fine for the captains who are already rich beyond the wildest dreams, but obviously for the like you know for the Carlos Orsises of the world, they're not going to be happy that they're winnings are then getting pumped back mm. into something that you know they very you know, probably don't have a lot of say over i don't know i obviously we don't know who the player was that shipnock spoke to but he did say why are we standing on the podium spraying each other with <laughs> champagne when the money is going back into the franchise which is mm. like we're not getting the money which is absolutely fine there's also talk of expenses being cut you know the whole big thing when live started was like oh we're going to treat the caddies like humans we're going to put them up in nice hotels we're going to let them in the same room as the players we're going to you know we're going to pay for their flights and things like that now that's all changing now, and and shipnuck even goes on to say well even if you go into the media room you've gone from having a nice spread of food which you get on the pga tour i should add <laughs> to having suddenly it's just like sandwiches mm. and it's just like okay not perhaps in the wider context not like a thing to worry about but it's sort of there's definitely some penny pinching going on now so there's mm. there's there, there's obviously some concern at the top end i think it, these details revealed by shipnick do sort of reveal that um it's not just a jolly is it it's, it's not just a um it's not just a fantasy world where these players are, are are just dancing around in fields and having a good time it is serious um 
the, the start of it, the start of Shipnook's um, piece was quite, was really funny. Um, he was sort of he he said that players, numerous players, milled around showing off a variety of Air Jordan flip flops, backward baseball caps, and receding hairlines. And he said, he said Pat Perry strolled by a couple of dour cops and said, "At ease, gentlemen, at ease," which I found quite funny. Just quite a hard. classic dad joke. Um, of course, of course, uh, Paul Casey rocks up in a custom Porsche with gold wheels. I mean, yeah. would you expect anything else from Paul Casey? Yeah, um, but the main sort of takeaways I took from it was um, they regarded well, live Norman just to just live um, regarded the 2022 season as a monumental excess as success, um, which is why they brought forward their business plan a- to 14 events. That was a wonderful slip of the tongue because you said monument, monumental excess, which it was that <laughs> as well. <laughs> That's what I brought it forward to 14 events said it instead of 10. Yet there is that confusion over over what team winnings go into. We're now seeing that they might go back into the franchises, um, being reinvested back into the franchises. Um, every expense is reported of being, being double and triple checked. Apparently the live bosses were fuming when the private jet that took the live golfers to the JP McManus Pro Am um, was essentially a party jet, and the live bosses were fuming with that. Apparently, yeah, the visuals of that must have been awful. To be fair, there's there's less multi-year contracts than we think, so people, so there'll be some players, presumably Dustin Johnson, Bryson, Mickelson, yeah, the big names, Kepka, Garcia, people like them, are presumably signed on until 2026. Or 2027, but there's less than we think. Another big point that I took away from this this article was that the public investment fund want soon, well in the next few years, want to get their business worth one trillion dollars in assets. And for that to happen, each franchise, each team, so the cliques, the fireballs, they need to be sold to to companies, brands for nine figure for nine figure sums. Um, but so the in teams the, in the billions. Yeah, for those for those people that can't be yeah. bothered to work that out, <laughs> for, for teams that never come in the top three, um, when there are, and there are a few of them that just don't ever play well, um, they're going to obviously struggle to attract sponsorship, attract deals, um, and they could be in in the red come the end of the season or the, or the end of the 2024 season. So it is what I took away from it is it is not all sunshine and rainbows that we get told. It is a very serious business venture by by the Saudis that they want. As Greg Norman always says, they want a uh, return of investment. So, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to disrespect any players, but I don't know. Let's take my team. Talk. Yeah. Joaquin Neiman, Munoz, Pereira, Puig. Who's who's paying a billion dollars for that? I mean, the, no disrespect to those players, but they're not. That's not a billion dollar football. No, exactly. Um, and that and that <laughs> is what I alluded to this on a previous podcast, like. The, the the iron heads captain by captain by Kevin Nah. So Kevin Nah, Si Wang Kim, Scott Vincent, um, and Danny Lee. Like again, not to disrespect them, but who is invested in that in a four man team? It, it is, again, I don't have to repeat myself, but it's not the NFL. That they yeah. aren't twenty, they aren't thirty man squads with hundreds of thousands of people watching worldwide and um in 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 the grounds. So you can definitely understand the business concerns and the reporting of 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 the model and the clamping down of 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 expenses because maybe there's a little a little thing of 
the players are taking the investment for a ride. Well, there was some really telling Kevin Nahr quotes. I mean, you mentioned the Ironheads there. And I mean, look, go and read this piece from Shipnuck. It's on the Fire Pit Collective. It's it's really interesting. And we've used quite a lot from it. So it's only fair we give him full credit for it. Yeah. But Kevin Nahr says... First of all, he described it as first world problem. So, you know, Shipnuck has talked to some players who have basically, or a player certainly, who says he's he's clearly not happy with the new business model. Kevin Nard described it as first world problem, says he doesn't care about the changes and really isn't actually entirely sure what his contract says. Now, the quote, the exact quote is, and, you know, excuse the language, but this is a direct quote. There is a shit ton of money out here and I've already got a shit ton. If you play well, you're going to win a shit ton more. I'm not <laughs> worrying about the details. I mean, that's one end of it. I can't imagine the C1 Kims and the Scott Vincents of the world feel the same way. And there is teammates. But I thought, just to make another point, the playoff yesterday um, with Louis Ustazen involved, I thought that was very um, foreshadowing of the, of the current state of the Live Golf fields. Like Louis Ustazen, he's 40. His win at the Open came 13 years ago. He had a strap on his left arm. Um, because it, apparently his tendon, according to a Sports Illustrated article, his tendon is hanging by a thread in his left arm. I just thought that was very sort of foreshadowing of the, the fields, the quality, who's challenging to win. Is a 40-year-old former major champion whose arm is hanging but, but by a thread. You know, yeah. a, a, a lot of these players have suffered with injury. Paul Casey um, spent a lot of time out injured last year. DeChambeau's had trouble. Kepka's had trouble. So you're starting to you're starting to get the idea, although we've just spoken about how more things are being clamped down on, it is still seen as an easier ride, less competitive, less strenuous than the PGA Tour. And that's why they didn't fancy anymore. It feels like <clears throat> from writing this piece, and it's not the first time, uh, sorry, reading this piece, I didn't write it. It's not the first time that Shipnock has written something that has blown everything up in live golf's faces i mean i don't know why they keep letting him come to his, come to their events <laughs> to be honest with you i mean obviously he's behind the scary mother effers thing with with phil mickelson and he well, was, did their best to he was him out. centurion with, with yeah the did their best to kick him out of centurion so all right i think that's probably enough mm. live chat let's uh let's go and get on with our days if you are looking for other podcasts in the ncg family i already mentioned at the top of this bit but you've got from the clubhouse which is tom Irwin and steve carroll talking about everything from the grassroots game and you've got all the gear which is our equipment experts of hannah holden and jack backhouse doing all the nerdy things about golf equipment so both good podcasts in their own ways yeah so go and listen to them all right matt i'll speak to you later right see you a bit